The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we talk with Lauren Guthrie, the VP of Global Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Action at VF Corporation. Lauren talks with students about understanding their values and the power of inclusive design. My name is Lauren Guthrie. Uh, I represent Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Action from VF Corporation. Uh, and when uh, Chase and I were brainstorming about the right content for today, uh, we landed on two conversations that at first blush may seem separate, but actually are quite connected. However, I'll leave it to you guys to find the connection. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about values. So it's interesting to hear you're going to have more conversation about values with your next guest speaker. So hopefully I can set you up well for that um, and, and talk just a little bit about how personal values can be a guide when choosing a career path uh, and certainly when choosing an employer. Uh, and then also I want to talk a little bit about inclusive and even equitable design. Um, so would love for this session to be interactive. So please uh, use the chat to articulate questions uh, as we're going along and I'll be sure to cover them at the end. So first, uh, just want to start off by talking a little bit about VF Corporation. Um, VF is a 122 plus year old company. Um, we are, have 50,000 associates globally uh, comprised across 20 brands with 1,400 owned retail stores, which is pretty incredible. Um, so just wanted to provide you guys with a little bit of visibility to the brand portfolio, which is quite diverse in its makeup, um, certainly with iconic brands in the outdoor space, the active space, uh, and the workspace, um, anchored by the North Face Vans and Dickies uh, and newly acquired Supreme. Um, and then to talk a little bit about me, talk a little bit about me and ultimately my journey to VF. So I consider myself to be a person who embraces many identities, uh, many of whom I've collected over the past decades, although I won't say exactly how many. Um, but I'm a human mother, learner, dancer, coach, DEI professional, yogi, writer, cultural anthropologist, also known as consumer strategist, um, and also a quintessential Aquarius also. Um, but what you'll see from this list is that what I do represents a really small portion of the complexity of who I am. Um, it's a key component, but certainly not the entire recipe. Um, and I'd also like to say that what I do matters because it allows me to show up in service of my values every day. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that journey uh, because it's definitely been a journey to get to that place. So um, we'll use a little bit of my personal experience to articulate where and how values have and have not impacted uh, my career decisions. So the overall shape of my journey looks like this. It's pretty rambling. Um, so if we start at the beginning, um, well, not at the beginning, but at college, when I was sitting in the seats that you're sitting in now, um, I was very much coached to study what I was interested in and what I was good at. Um, and so for me, the assumption was that the rest would fall into place, uh, which took a little while to do so. But I did choose to major in history. And what I loved about history was the diving into the record of humanity, being a detective while wading through relative truths, uh, and ultimately identifying trends and themes, oftentimes within conflicting data sets. Um, however, when I graduated, um, I had absolutely no idea what to do with this learning. Uh, and so instead, I followed my passions and pursued an entry-level marketing uh, role with a dance studio. I had the opportunity to dance as much as I wanted, support the growth of a small business. The role was entrepreneurial, but ultimately unfulfilling. And so when an industrial supply 
company reached out, I jumped at the opportunity to make some more money uh, and build my management capabilities. So I put all of my time and effort uh, in that role into improving as a manager and working to develop the teams that reported to me. Um, unfortunately, the company had a culture of hiring management externally. And so all of the effort that I was putting into developing people was actually not uh, manifesting in opportunities for those associates. So again, I was still unfulfilled. And so a friend connected me to someone working in merchandising um, at a retailer and what she did sounded really interesting. So I applied for an assistant merchant job. I moved halfway across the country um, and stepped into my new life building product strategies in service of a really strong brand identity. Um, much of my work was starting to identify trends in the business um, and uh, and I felt like I was, you know, the experience was aligned with my strengths uh, and some of my key values. Uh, but ultimately, um, again, I was, I was not using every inch of myself. Uh, and again, I felt unfulfilled. I was working for a brand image uh, to which I didn't align uh, and felt like there was a better fit out there somewhere. So I applied a, a, for a role at a different retailer who is a master in storytelling and innovation. And I dedicated my talents to studying a global consumer and serving them through product. And this all felt really, really good. The work I was doing felt aligned um, with, with some really important key values. But as I looked to leadership, I didn't see myself reflected. Uh, and I'm not purely referring to race or, or gender, um, although that was a challenge also. Uh, but I didn't see some of my most critical values uh, reflected back to me, humility, authenticity. And so again, I was unfulfilled. So you see the pattern here, right? Uh, and to make a long story short, uh, I was invited to apply for a role at the North Face to work for a leader that I knew from a prior organization. And I'd never considered working in the outdoor industry before, but I had trust in this leader. And so I did my research on the company. And what I found was uh, an organization who reflected many of my own values back to me. Uh, the guiding principles at the North Face are spark curiosity, uh, love wild places, lead, lead with integrity, dare to disrupt and create community. Um, and hopefully for my story, you can hear how some of those things resonated with who I am and certainly with uh, the things that I value. Uh, and then I started to meet people from the company. And although we had different backgrounds and represented different demographics and had completely different uh, professional experiences, there was authentic connectivity. And the role that I presented with also provided me with opportunities for growth. Um, and so I took it and I've been a proud member of the North Face and, and now um, by extension, VF ever since. And, and while TNF, what I recognized also is that there was an opportunity to speak more intentionally and deliberately about race uh, within the organization. And so I actually founded our first employee resource group in support of racial and ethnic diversity, um, which was an incredibly fulfilling experience. Uh, but then last year happened. Uh, so to back up a little bit, in 2019, um, I had my second child, um, my first son. And as we entered into the racial reckoning of last year, um, I was really overwhelmed by the fear, um, recognizing that I was raising a Black man in a society that didn't fully value him. And I felt something different driving my next steps than what had driven all of my previous um, professional decisions in the past. And that was a really strong sense of duty and calling to use everything that I am and everything that I had to make a palpable difference in this world. So I reached out to people during that time and checked in. Um, and what I recognized in others, um, you know, within the organization is that there was heavy grief and trauma sitting on people as, as they waded through kind of the multiple dimensions of pandemic, um, of racial justice, um, certainly um, of, of loss of, of a life, you know, that they knew, right? Everybody was in a different place in this journey. Um, and so actually was able to um, establish a, or set up a guided meditation for 1,200 VF associates. It's my first time ever doing a guided meditation, um, but where we breathed together for eight minutes and 46 seconds in the wake of George Floyd's murder. 
And this to me um, was a really clear shift in my mindset in terms of the impact that I could have within an organization um, that I had a huge amount of respect for. Um, and that's ultimately what drove my transition um, from the North Face to VF Corporation into diversity, equity, inclusion work. Um, and that's the work that I've, I've stepped into and have been doing for the past eight months. So just wanted to give you a little bit of a sense uh, for my journey, um, not because I like to talk about myself, um, but to give you more of a sense of, of how values have ultimately driven some of my decisions and, and how I've discovered them along the way. So um, in kind of summary, and hopefully you heard some of these things come through, um, my personal values are connection, authenticity, integrity, honesty, transparency, independence, loyalty, humility, commitment, and doing good. And it has been a journey for me to uncover these values over time, although they've always been innate to who I am. And I think the world oftentimes programs us to think differently, particularly when pursuing a career, right? Um, there's a lot of programming. There's societal programming. Our parents play a large role in programming our ambitions uh, and how we think about prioritizing how we spend our time. We spend the vast majority of our life doing work. So the more more that you personally can do the work um, around discovering your values. And I wish I had been coached earlier in my career to take a moment to do that. Um, who knows how my path may have looked different. Now with that, um, just want to articulate two concepts around dissonance and resonance. And um, what you've heard me talk about, you know, in, in articulating my journey are both things. Um, dissonance in the places where I felt inherent friction points, right? Where things didn't feel right. Um, where um, organizations were maybe upholding some values, but certainly not all of my key and core values. Um, and dissonance very palpably feels uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, it, part of the process of discovering values is really leaning into those areas of dissonance with curiosity to understand or uncover or sleuth out what's driving that dissonance. Resonance, on the other hand, um, is quite the opposite. It's expansive. It's where we feel the most like ourselves. There's a freedom um, in resonance and, and ultimately um, probably succinctly can be articulated as good energy, right? And those are the places that you also want to lean into and, and sleuth and be a detective to uncover what, what are those key values that are driving those resonance. So next slide just articulates corporate values and you'll see they're exactly the same. Um, for me, the process around uncovering personal values is exactly the same process that helped me identify um, what corporate values are critical to me in terms of not only the work that I, that I do, but the people that I do the work with, uh, the consumers that I serve through the work or the constituents that I serve through the work in, in my current role. Um, and so I think a lot of times, um, especially coming out of college, people feel like it's that part of that first job that they, they aren't at liberty to be um, definitive and decisive about how to lead with values. And so I would love to just challenge that notion. You'll learn through your journey, certainly as I have, but I think we all have a responsibility um, to show up in service of our values and to allow them to drive our decision-making, particularly around a decision that's, that's as important um, as where we choose to work. So with that, um, you know, just a, a, a few thoughts. Fulfillment can be a scary word uh, that often feels inaccessible, but when we tap into what's innate to us and defines us and we lean into what moves us and makes us feel alive, that essence can be captured, bottled, and replicated in the future. So just encourage you guys to, to hold on to that sentiment. And ultimately, um, you know, for me, this was the difference between thriving, right, in the workplace, fully thriving uh, and, and surviving. And, and certainly, I think, um, you know, the preference for all of us, I would imagine, is thriving. And I think, again, key to that is values. So with that, questions to ask yourself, um, you know, as you're thinking about next steps. And, and again, these are the questions I, I wish someone had prompted me with 
uh, in the past. And, and the first is, what do I value? Um, which we've talked a lot about. So I'm not going to belabor that one further. But also, what aspects of my identity do I want to elevate in the workplace? Um, so as I articulated, my identity is multidimensional. There's some things, you know, my goal certainly as a DEI professional is to ensure that there's the space for anyone to show up as their complete, full, authentic self in the workplace. But we all have decisions to make around how we define full relative to the workplace, right? Um, and there's some aspects that I choose to keep separate. And there's some aspects that are really important to me. Um, for example, as, as a mother, um, that's a really critical component of my prioritization. And so it's something that I actively talk about in the workplace um, that certainly as a leader of people, you know, I, I'm clear about um, work and life delineation. So hopefully to inspire others to create the same space in their own lives. Um, what strengths can I offer to the world? You know, what are strengths that you want to lean into specifically um, that you want to elevate um, in, in the work that you do? And then the last uh, question is, what scares me? And that might seem like a funny addition to the list, um, but I actually got really great advice um, from someone that I trusted early in my career that really leaning into what scares you is important. That edge oftentimes is what keeps us motivated and moving forward. And there's always wisdom in, in the things that feel uncomfortable um, or feel scary. Certainly stepping into this role was terrifying for me. Um, I had never been worked in human resources. I'd certainly never worked um, as a diversity, uh, equity, inclusion professional. There was a lot that I knew that I didn't know. But um, that fear was part of what motivated me um, to take on this role fully and completely with the responsibility to learn, with the responsibility to grow. Um, and it certainly you know, has been one of the most fulfilling um, components of my life. So with that, I'm going to switch gears and talk about inclusive and equitable design, but we can certainly come back to any questions relative to this section. So um, first, I want to start with a definition of design. This is um, <laughs> Merriam-Webster has several definitions for design. I'll allow you guys to read through, uh, read through a few. I, I don't need to read them for you. Um, but in recognizing all of these defini definitions are true, I think they are all lacking in intention. Um, and so perhaps you know, it's worth asking a different question. Um, and this is where I would love your participation. But what is the impact of design? So if you guys can take a moment and this is where you get to annotate and jump in and be part of the conversation. What's the impact of design? And if it helps you to answer the question, what's the impact of, oops, good design? So take a moment, I'll be patient. Right, so a more efficient world, positively impacting the user's experience. Good design brings communities together, yes. Solves real problems for real people, less harm to the environment. Good design can drive the rest of a project, makes life more comfortable, aesthetic, or happier. Excellent, these are, these are all great answers. All right, let me clear annotations quickly. So I want to take a minute to talk about design thinking relative to that question, right? Um, and another way to articulate design thinking is human-centered design. And for me, the impact of des design is really the power to change human lives, right? Um, if we're being really thoughtful about not only what we make, but how we make it, we're ultimately contributing something really valuable to human experience. Um, as we think about the design uh, thinking cycle, you know, this graphic is intended to articulate that this isn't linear, um, it's cyclical, 
It can be interrupted at any point in time. But the way that this framework has been articulated, that it first begins with empathizing um, and ultimately as part of that understanding um, component of the design cycle, empathy requires us to really engage with humanity um, in a really intimate way. And so it's really funny for me when people talk about inclusive design, I feel like if done right, all design should be inclusive because if we're really paying attention during this empathize and define um, section of the framework, we should be asking ourselves questions like who are we serving? Um, and who probably should be a part of the conversation that it doesn't currently have a seat at the table um, and really being thoughtful about how we uncover um, upfront and how we, how we uh, strategize upfront to ensure that again, we're, when we're serving our consumer, it's not our historical consumer, it's our potential consumer um, or our holistic consumer. Um, and that we're thinking more expansively beyond what history may suggest um, in order to, to really set ourselves up for an effective design cycle. So humans are diverse. <laughs> this is the other part of the equation in the story, right? So as I mentioned earlier, when describing myself, um, humans are diverse, complex, and unique creatures. None of us are created in the same likeness. Um, and as such, our brain has a really difficult time navigating all of the uniqueness. And so it has a trick that it uses to make everything simpler by categorizing things and ultimately people. Um, and so despite all of our beautiful uniqueness, we get categorized in groups and those groups are created based on assumptions. Um, and our reliance on those assumptions is called bias. And so bias is not necessarily an evil thing, but it's the result of evolutionary behavior that has kept us safe uh, for thousands of years, essentially. Um, so when we made the association that leaves trembling in the forest means a predator is coming, right? That's what bias um, or these assumptions have historically helped us to do in the past. Um, but in today's world, um, bias can lead us to incorrect assumptions about the humans that we seek to serve through, dis through design. So when we're tackling inclusive design, um, some of the big questions here are, who can we invite into the room? Um, and who can we invite to sit at the table? Um, and sit at the table is really important because that's about giving voice um, and an open invitation to solicit voice um, from marginalized or underrepresented communities. Um, and again, I invite you guys to think about this really expansively. So I'm not just talking about, again, race or gender. This could be um, level of ableness, right? This could be neurodiversity. This could be cultural background um, and context. But as we're really seeking to set up that front end of the design cycle, being really thoughtful and expansive about the voices that we can invite to sit at the table to participate in the work. And then the third question, um, again, is kind of invoking this detective mentality, is how might, how might bias be hindering understanding and exploration? Um, and we all have a responsibility through the inclusive design process to ensure that we're uncovering where bias may live, and ultimately it does live somewhere, and challenging those notions of bias. So as we transition a little bit um, into equity, which is a slightly different conversation, but certainly plays on these principles um, that diversity is important, um, that inclusion is critical, um, and inclusion being the expansive piece. When we talk about equity, you know, would love to get a sense from you guys around the definition of equity. What does that word mean to you? And then we'll talk a little bit about how it might apply to design. Any thoughts here? Worth. Corbin, I'm impressed that you wrote that out with the annotation feature. Nice job. Any other thoughts? This is a hard one being given different tools to get the same job done. Equal opportunity. 
Let's get one more. Fair, fairness, great. So equity is technically defined as exactly what was just typed, the state, quality, or ideal of being just, impartial, and fair. However, um, equity, or more specifically, inequity, um, recognizes the systemic and disproportionately unfair treatment of some populations. And I want to highlight the word systemic um, because systems and institutions reinforce the perspective of those with privilege. Um, and we all have privilege in some form or fashion. All of us who are sitting on this call have privilege um, by the sheer nature that you're able to see my screen, that you're able to hear my voice, uh, that you're in a higher institution setting, um, that we're able to, to converse um, at the level that we are. That's all a form of privilege. Um, and so what's really important as we're thinking about equity is to start to be, especially as it applies to be thoughtful, or to, as it applies to design, is to be thoughtful about the impact of systems, um, how systems have shaped our bias. And I talked about it a little bit earlier. My parents are a form of a system who shaped my personal bias about my career. Um, but as we start to think about the impact or the opportunity for design to impact humanity, as you guys articulated earlier, we also need to be aware of what has been constructed um, to support inequities through the systems um, in our lives. Make sense? Okay. So would love to take a minute just, and I'll ask you, I think this is the last annotation and then you guys are home free. Uh, but what is the impact of equity? So what comes to mind when you think about the impact of equity and perhaps playing that fairness piece forward, but what becomes possible? A level playing field, great. Opportunity. I love it. One more, and then I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> A greater sense of purpose and community. I love it. Thank you very much for indulging me. Oh, look at that. New points of view, community, progression. Fantastic. All phenomenal points. More understanding and engagement between different communities. I could not agree more. Um, and one of the ways in which compounding interest, I love that. Um, one of the ways in which equity was articulated to me um, or the work of equity, certainly through the lens of what I do, but as we think about applying it to design is relevant also, is that it's construction work, right? It requires us to um, rethink, reimagine, um, the systems on, that support who we are and how we show up in the world, um, and that it's an opportunity to reimagine a world um, that's broken down and rebuilt to promote fairness and freedom of bias um, with the intention of greater sense of purpose and community um, and new points of view and certainly progression. Um, so thank you guys for, for indulging me with your thoughts I'm 100% aligned on where you're going. So uh, I wanted to take a few minutes just to um, elaborate on the human-centered design framework that we looked at at the beginning um, of, of this section and really rely on some of the guidance um, of a fantastic um, social justice design um, thought leader uh, and teacher Ibada Wadud, um, and also just call to attention Slow Factory, which is an incredible nonprofit organization that provides open source um, curriculum in the space of equity, um, social justice, and sustainability. So if you haven't checked them out, I would recommend checking them out, uh, but I have to give credit to where credit's due regarding um, this framework in particular. So, um, 
what she says is any system produces what it is designed to produce. And I think that's a really important um, thing to call out. Um, she's looking at the intersection of equity and, and design in a really clear and in poignant way. Um, and so although we just talked about the impact of systems on us as individuals, and the role that bias plays in creating blind spots uh, for designers or anyone building anything, right? You don't have to be a designer to engage in design principles. Um, but it's critical to recognize that these systems have also been designed. Um, and so as we desire to be more inclusive and connect to more diverse individuals with diverse uh, being defined in the broadest way possible, we also need to do the work to examine the impact of systems on who we are, how we think, the privilege we hold. Um, and this examination is categorized uh, in this next model. So as noticing, you'll see empathy uh, through iterate is the human-centered design framework uh, that we reflected on before. Uh, and in this equity-centered design model, you'll notice that there are two additions. One is to notice that there's notice. Uh, the others reflect at the end. Um, so before we can truly be empathetic and ensure that we're identifying the voices that are missing in the room, we need to notice the context into which we're designing. So what are the forces at play? Who are the voices that are hidden? Where is there opportunity to challenge the status quo? All of these questions should drive innovation inherently, but they also drive a more equitable an inclusive approach to thinking about design. So once we spend that time to notice, to be thoughtful, to take inventory of the context in which we're working, then we can use empathy to seek out marginalized voices and be more inclusive in our approach to solving human problems. Make sense? Okay. Um, you'll also notice reflect um, added to the end of the design thinking framework. So reflection is a critical component of our growth process. You've hear, heard me talk a lot today about my own personal reflection and how it's guided decision-making for me. Um, I think that's no different within the design process. Um, you know, the process is iterative and the work is never done, particularly these bookends that we're articulating here, notice and reflect. Um, so as we notice and reflect, notice and reflect over and over again, you know, we work to minimize the impact of, of sneaky bias, right? That inherently is there to protect us, but gets in the way oftentimes of real innovation and quite honestly, real connection at a human level. So this is the work um, inherently of inclusive and equitable design. And I realized that went a whole lot faster than I thought it would. So that's the content I got. But I am super happy to answer questions and riff on any of this further also. I can, so, I can watch the chat and moderate some of those questions if you like. That'd be great, Chase. Thank Which you. We've, we've got one from Rhett. How do you balance being authentically inclusive without it coming off as tokenism? Yeah, um, great question. To be honest, I'm less concerned by how things come off and more concerned with intention. Um, and your words, um, I'm, I'm, I'm taking quite literally, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've chosen quite intentionally, but balance being authentically inclusive. If, if that truly is the effort to authentically include, um, then that's the intention that needs to sit behind the work. This work is messy. It is rife with landmines. Um, it will never be right or wrong to everyone. It is a world of relative truths. And so with that, intention carries a lot of weight. Um, and with that intention, I would just ask that, you know, truly, if it's authentic, you know, putting in the time to be thoughtful, to do research, um, you know, to come from a place of being informed also goes a long way. Uh, but I think too oftentimes what comes across as tokenism is because the intention is not grounded in authenticity. Um, and so that to me is a key component 
of the work. Um, and a lot of what we've talked about today is all of this is work, right? The noticing and reflection part is some of the hardest part of this cycle, um, whether you're applying that to um, product design and product creation, or whether you're applying that to your life design, um, you know, that, that's the piece that really drives, uh, drives insight in the space. I've got a, I've got a statement and then a question. Um, I, I really love how you took two things that I felt were like really separate, this idea of like our own design process and our values. I think sometimes we think of those as separate things, but you brought them together in a really interesting way because they're interconnected. Um, I just thought that was, that was really powerful, especially in the context of like career development, right. And like blending your design process and, um, and your values and bringing those together. But my question is, is that, have you noticed, um, I guess in coworkers who have taken that time to write down their values, um, and think through those. I think sometimes you, you look at that list of values and you think, oh, well, that, that's easy. I know what my values are. But once you take the time to write them down, it's like you, you can wrestle with that a lot more um, and you internalize those values more as the more you reflect on them. So have you noticed differences in coworkers who have taken that time um, and how that manifests? Yeah, it's a great question. And yes, <laughs> I think um, what is seen and remains visible is oftentimes what's actioned, right? Um, and so we we tend to rest on values versus proactively invoking them. Um, and so for me, the thought is, um, if you can write it down, I actually keep totems, <laughs> um, like little symbols. Um, so there's actually a picture in my office that represents one of my core values um, to keep them visible so that I can not, um, not use them in case of emergency, right? When you need the parachute, but instead proactively lean on them from a place of strength and intention. And I think that's part of showing up authentically or being or at least being thoughtful around uh, what it means to show up authentically also is um, how are you going to put your values into practice, not just evaluating what they are, but how am I going to use them? Um, how am I going, how do they contribute to identity? Which identities do I show up with in the workplace? All of the conversations are connected, but I think taking the time to, um, to document and reflect back on. Um, and you'll notice different values play different roles in your life at different times. So they may move in and out of leadership positions um, and being thoughtful about that is also, is also critical. I love that. Because yeah. largely in this class up to this point, we've talked about very tangible things as they relate to career development. Oh, your resume, your portfolio, things that you can see, right? And you can see the manifestation of values, right? But absolutely. Um, a couple couple of questions here from students from Jacob. How can we push for more diversity in our workplaces in entry level positions? Yes, that is a great question. Um, I think you know again, this kind of comes back to how do we sniff out bias? I think first, um, the answer to that question is going to be different for different organizations based upon root cause. So, what I always start from is a place of data. Um, you know, certainly within VF that guides a lot of our conversations to understand, is it that we're not getting the candidates or the candidates are coming in and they're not getting the offers? Um, you know, kind of what is at the root cause of why we think we don't see diversity in order to create a really clear plan? Uh, but oftentimes what I found interesting is the challenge um, if it's if the challenge is truly at an entry level role, it means that the company hasn't um, done the work to develop the right pipeline support. Um, so whether that's connectivity, um, and and that extends, I would say even further up upstream than higher education, right? So right for I'll use VF as an example. Um, certainly in support of our outdoor brands, you know, we're looking at opportunities to connect with middle school students and high school students um, in diverse communities to help them understand what's, um, you know, what may be possible 
role in the area of design and product creation relative to the outdoors? How do we partner with youth organizations to ensure that we're allowing those who may not have had access um, to outdoors, whether that be, you know, they're in an urban concrete jungle and don't have the means um, or, um, you know, or don't have a way to engage with the great outdoors or the broader outdoors, right? Um, which oftentimes requires some assistance from an access perspective. Like how are we cultivating a love for spaces that are important to us earlier in the pipeline? Um, and so whether those, those um, aspiring leaders come to VF or they come, uh, you know, or, or they show up otherwise in the industry, that's the work that we're willing to put in to, to see a shift um, in what's possible in terms of diversity, particularly in the spaces with which we are, which historically um, there has been a, a lack of perceived diversity. That way. Um, but the other component that we're doing is making sure that we're, we're really questioning preconceived notions. So when you work for brands, there's a lot of conversation about cultural fit. Cultural fit can be a huge trap <laughs> to ensure that you're hiring more people that are just like the people you currently have, right? So it's a huge inhibitor to diversity. Um, and so what we're really reframing are what are, what, again, what are our values, not what are the backgrounds or the experiences that we want people to have? Um, what are the values that we want to see show up in our organization? And how does that allow us to be more flexible in terms of certain guardrails around roles, which may increase more diversity? Um, the other component is that we're really pushing diverse candidate slates as for all levels of our organization. So entry level um, and up through leadership to ensure that we're really working hard to bring um, qualified. So this isn't any kind of um, compromise around qualifications, but this is pushing us to work harder to ensure that we're bringing qualified, diverse candidates to the table to help enable um, a, a better chance of hiring um, more diverse leaders uh, into the organization. I use leaders to apply to all levels. So I think there are a lot of different ways in which companies can play a role, but it first starts with that examination of where do we think we're falling down and why? That's the systemic component, right? Um, and then once we understand that, we can build a clearer plan to address. Uh, but in the outdoor industry, I think a lot of it is around um, education um, and, um, and ex exposure, quite honestly, so that people know what's possible um, in, in, this, in this area. A question from Nash. How do you define a consumer without narrowing scope or potential of a product or brand? How do you define consumer? Um, yeah, so consumer to me is the, the person at the end of the cycle who is consuming. Um, I think we put a lot of other baggage on consumer. <laughs> uh, and a lot of that is dictated or driven through history, right? Who has historically been our consumer? Where have they historically shopped the brand? Um, what, you know, what demographics do they historically have? Um, you know, what, what is the historical engagement model with the brand? And I think what we're finding coming into this year, um, which has been rich in change and evolution, particularly as more people have sought, the out, sought out the outdoors um, from a place of mental refuge, that all of a sudden we're like, oh, our, our consumer is changing, <laughs> right? But it's not that the consumer is changing, it's that we're recognizing new dimensions of our consumer base. Um, and so what I always encourage people is trends are really important. And certainly business is foundational and, and built on, on trends. And that's pulling on my merchandising experience. Um, but when we're talking about growth opportunities, that's when you have to look outside of the status quo and what's been consistent. Um, and I think, you know, playing with and really exploring um, the peripheries of who your consumer target is, is oftentimes where the growth sits and starting to create or think through authentic ways to engage with that periphery um, is where there's really meaningful growth to the business. So I would encourage um, those who are, who are thinking about consumer um, to really start from the place of how have I defined my consumer 
uh, what's been my tool set, and how can I think more expansively about that in terms of what's possible, right? is going to give you a lot of insight around who could and probably should be sitting at the table. And if they're not there, that means that that's a growth opportunity. So um, I think there, there are certainly ways for brands to be far more inclusive that they've been just in being really thoughtful um, about, about um, who's not sitting at the table. Did I answer your question? Whoever, I can't remember. Who that. Yeah, you did. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So one from Ben here, uh, do you have any insights on key indicators that could uh, create equity inclusivity in a single product? Um, we've talked a lot about the organization or organizational level, but when it comes to product. Yeah. Um, so indicators, um, I don't know if I have an answer for that, but I can give some, you know, some examples of, of product initiatives that have come through VDF uh, in the past year or so that I, I think um, are maybe or maybe addressing what you're asking. So one is, you know, Vans um, continues to look for opportunities to elevate um, or to improve accessibility um, and uh, from an ableness perspective, right? And so you think about Vans, a huge part of their business is through slip-ons, um, which is of huge benefit to the disabled community or those who have difficulty navigating lacing. Um, and so continue to be really thoughtful about uh, how they can improve their product from a physical accessibility perspective. Um, and then I would say on top of that, also uh, how they can bring awareness. So I've actually done an autism awareness collection um, as an opportunity to bring visibility to neurodiversity and opportunity to drive storytelling around it. So I'd say it works both ways, right? Like how do I think about how I elevate um, storytelling around um, communities to who deserve and to have stories told about them and often aren't while also really thinking through how can we physically improve the accessibility um, of our product. Um, GN Sports also working on uh, wheelchair compatible backpacks. Um, and so recognizing that um, backpacks as they currently sit are, are, are structured are really difficult um, for those who leverage wheelchairs to navigate and to carry. Um, and so all of this starts from a place of empathy. So again, the noticing who's not part of the conversation that could be, um, this is a community that's been largely um, ignored from a, a, from a commercial perspective. There's a massive business opportunity here. Um, and so instead of going out and making a wheelchair compatible backpack, They've actually spent the past 18 months partnering um, with organizations, doing focus groups, doing creation sessions, inviting voices to the table, um, designing in partnership with the goal of being able to produce a really robust um, product offering to address the needs that they're uncovering. So they came from a place of, we noticed this is an opportunity, but we are, are not equipped to solve for this without inviting more voices to the table. So I would say at a really tactical product level, those are two examples um, kind of through an ableness lens. Um, I would say there are a lot of companies that are doing really interesting work um, from a racial justice perspective there are a lot of companies who've thrown their hat in the ring. I don't think there are necessarily a lot of companies that are doing really great work, but one of them um, is Ben and Jerry's, who, um, again, uses ice cream <laughs> as an opportunity to advertise um, not only social justice initiatives, but also they're building collaboration, ice cream collaborations in partnership with community service organizations. So when we talk about using their platform um, to espouse their values, but also to generate revenue in partnership with organizations who are doing really incredible work on the ground, um, I think that they've more than put their money where their mouth is around racial justice and not just in the past year, right? Um, it's been a much longer term initiative for them um, that is really coming from a, a place of values and is enabling really great organizations to, to amplify their work and do great work in the world. Did that answer your question? I'm super mindful. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, maybe if I can just summarize a little bit, it kind of depends on the product, right? Yeah. It just depends on who you're trying to solve the problem for and if you're solving their problem or not. Yeah. So you said it, see, you said it much more succinctly than I did. Um, but yes, I think that's right. And that's the whole examination, right? Is um, all of this is about the who, what, why, like the questions that we ask relative to design more holistically. And I think inclusive and equity-centered design is just about forcing us to open our aperture um, and being really thoughtful about the context in which we've been designing and how can we break down barriers and think differently um, and be more inclusive in our approach. Cool, thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. I know we're a little bit over, but if there's maybe one, I don't wanna keep you, Lauren. Um, if there's one more, there's I'm one here. More. I appreciate the excellent questions. And if not, that's okay too. But um, Chase, I don't know if you provide email addresses. I'm super happy to entertain um, follow-up questions. So whether that be practically about VF and our brands, um, certainly if it's about values work, if you can't tell I'm passionate about that conversation, um, certainly if it's about DEI more broadly, you know, we have just, my title um, six months ago was, was uh, head of inclusion and diversity. Uh, we've just added the E and the A, so equity and action. And so that commitment to action is really important uh, for the company. So I'd say we're really just revving up on our own personal equity journey, um, but really proud of the work that we have in process. Happy to talk about that at any time and also welcome your guys' thoughts and feedback around how we're showing up in the world too. That's great. Yeah, if if you would want want to share your email, we're we're always happy to to you know have that available for students. It depends on how many emails that you want to get. <laughs> That's totally fine. Just give me some grace and response time, but I promise I'll get back to you. Okay. Yeah, I know Andrea. If, if, I don't know if you want to share that through Canvas. I can. You, you've got it through the calendar invite already, probably. Thank you for taking the time. This has been fantastic. And again, this is recorded, so we'll we'll get it out to everybody. I, there's a lot to watch again and review. Um, so that's why we do that. Um, appreciate you taking the time. This has been fantastic. And I know that we, we have more in the works. So looking forward to having you involved more um, in, in the program in the future. So thanks for taking time. This is great. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for entertaining annotation and for asking great questions. Hey, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor industry leaders and enthusiasts, subscribe and listen wherever podcasts are found or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast.